And welcome to episode 208 of the Apple and Apps and App Addict Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of Apple and Apps. Join us this week as Trevor and I make illuminating dis- dedications and explore the vast frontiers of life while racing off-road and shooting down waves of aliens. How are you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. That definitely sounds like some exciting times. It is. Yeah, it was a good, like, this was another, like, a small core little group of really good games. Just like last week, we had a a smaller group, but as long as there's good games, I'm happy. Yeah, not complaining. (laughs) And speaking of not complaining, that's kind of the idea of, of our Apple News of the Week. And so there's two different reports that have come out. The first one is that Android now has an 88% market share in the smartphone market. Apple constitutes almost the additional 12%. It's a little bit under. And so, of course, there's the argument Android was the successful operation. They did what Google did what they wanted to do. But then another report came out that said Apple made 104% of the profits within the same quarter within the smartphone industry. So, that means Apple's selling a whole lot less phones, but they're making all the profit. Plus, they're even taking advantages of losses by LG and HTC. So that means all these Android manufacturers are selling phones either at cost or at a loss, while Apple is making 104% of the profits. That is quite actually astonishing when you just think of all the different players within the smartphone industry. Right, yeah. And, but if you think about it, some parts of it make sense because... More often than not, it, the free phones that you're getting from these deals and everything are all these Android. And there's so many of these phones out there that they really have to fight against themselves more than Apple. Because if you're going for an iPhone, you know you're going into the iOS infrastructure and that's what you're going for. If you're going for Android, you're really competing against all these other companies, all competing like with different devices within that that infrastructure so really apple doesn't have any competition in its own os and android does so they're gonna have to undercut themselves they're gonna have to price competitively and sell at a loss if they want to drive their market share as far as how many of their devices are out there where apple doesn't have to do that because you know what you're going into but um, i mean i understand that perspective but Beyond Google, who is benefiting by market share? Because, I mean, the idea is Google gets all this user data and then they use that to improve their search and their advertising and all that. But how does Samsung benefit from saying we sold this many phones and we have this percentage share? I, the only thing I can think of is it's to sell their other products. That's the only reason why their sales would matter to them as far as phones go to try to drive customer loyalty with all the rest of their products. Like those washing machines that explode? Yes, they're blowing up. <laughs> yes, if you have one device that blows up, we want all your devices to blow up. So get your phone, get your washing machine, everything can blow up. Yep. And so, I mean, of course, there's dour news when it comes to Apple's quarterly earnings, but the iPhone, <laughs> I mean, if they continue making 100% or 100% plus percent of the smartphone market, they can keep making iPhones for years and years to come. It doesn't even seem to matter. Right, yeah. If you go yeah, if this is all accurate and this is how the they're divvying things up, then yeah, it makes 
yeah, they could easily do that. And so that's pretty much the Apple news of the week. What side would you rather have, the market share or the money? I personally would like the money. Yes. And so that's pretty much the Apple news. And that lets us talk about some apps for those iPhones that are making all the money. And the first one is Me by TinyBop. And we've talked about quite a few. You know, they've made Earth, the human body, homes, environment. They've covered all these different sections, even creative items for machine inner workings or monsters. And so with Me, it's their most personal effort to date that it's kind of like your kids can make kind of their own social profile within the infrastructure of this tiny bop app where you can create your avatar and then set what your favorite food is or you know your favorite all your favorite items and activities and just all these post kind of ideas of what you like to do to build this whole personal profile within the infrastructure of the app Right, yeah, it's almost like your own little kind of uh, closed-off social network where you're just kind of building that profile but never really using it. Or kind of like a digital scrapbook where basically the app, what it does is it guides your child through like all of these questions. So it poses all these questions they may not have thought of or things that they do think of but never had a spot to write it down. So it almost becomes like a digital diary where they could say what their favorite color is or what color makes them afraid or draw a picture or record audio. And it's a really neat kind of tool for them just to share stuff about themselves in a way that they don't have access to at this point, especially younger children, that they're not on Facebook or any of these, but they kind of get that experience of sharing out content, but not sharing it, really. Yeah, I really like that idea of the scrapbook digital journal. That's a really good description, because if your kids keep on this to talk about their favorite game or who their friends are, all these like my special talent, they can go back years later, you know, with this information. And it's really neat to kind of have that because your interests are going to change as you grow up and you can go back and have this snapshot in time of things you actually marked down. Right. And and so what I did was I loaded this up on both my daughters. They're seven, they're seven and nine and a half. I loaded it on their, both their iPod touches and they sat down on the couch right near me, and they just immediately dived headfirst into this thing, and they were loving it. Like, they would read the next question that popped up and immediately start answering them or recording or drawing little pictures, showing me what they drew. And it was interesting from a parent's perspective because these aren't necessarily questions I would think to ask them, but you're finding out all this information about your child that you had no idea. Or it might be a question that... I've kind of tried to ask me and maybe it's like the end of I've tried to ask them and it's the end of the day and they're like sick of homework or something. They don't really want to answer. And so you never get these answers. But meanwhile, this app that has no personality to them, like no no vested interest, they happily tell this thing whatever they want. And they're recording things and having fun doing it. And it's just a way that you can kind of even get more information about your own children that they wouldn't necessarily share with you otherwise. But it's not like I'm reading a diary. They're openly giving this to me and showing it to me, but happy to share the information, which I thought was really neat because it just kind of opens up dialogues that you may not have had the opportunity to or even thought to. And then you can also create a family tree 
as well as take pictures and then ex or accessorize those pictures with stickers and just various designs. And then the whole app has that style of the other tiny bop apps. It makes it friendly and inviting through the menu system and then all the colorful artwork. Yeah, and one thing I should uh, note is that if you're worried about like your kid putting all of this information, like they might even, they ask him questions like how did your parents meet and things that may end up showing up on security questionnaires, like for passwords and things. None of this information leaves the app. It's all stored within the app. It never goes out. Your child, I think there is a way they can share it, but I think it's still protected like by a parent control. I'm pretty sure, uh, and. So it's not like Tiny Bob is collecting all this information about your child and then using it or selling it or anything. It's all within the app. They're not doing any of that. At least that's the claim that they're putting out there. And from what I could see, it doesn't look like it. So uh, you can feel safe about your child giving all this information into the app and not have to worry about it being used for some other reason. Which is a good consideration. Yes. And that's me by Tiny Bob. It's two ninety nine. It's universal. And now let's play some games. The first one is Asphalt Extreme. So Gameloft's arcade racing series returns. We made it up through Asphalt Eight, and now instead of Asphalt Nine, Nine, it's Asphalt Extreme. And this is kind of emphasizes off road racing. So you have vehicles that are all terrain abilities, and then you're going to be racing through courses that kind of fit that. But you still have that asphalt idea. A lot of the elements introduced in Asphalt Airborne return, including the ramps on the course to give you some tricks to perform in the air, as well as the way the kind of course or the track setup is, where you get like a collection of like five races. You need to complete those to move on to the next section. Each one might have a different mode as well as a different area. So that kind of keeps it fresh and then keeps you pushing forward. But then, again, it emphasizes all that off-road nature. And then there's just all types of kind of fast-paced action. We've played quite a few games that, like, the racing component always seems to kind of come in. Like, we talked about Gear Club last week, and it seemed like the racing part is what kind of failed. Asphalt Extreme really seems to just nail that adrenaline-packed action where you can gain the lead, lose the lead, and have flipping around as you're going on the race, especially because you can knock opponents, you know, with a nice time nitro boost. And then the nitro can always help you gain momentum back as you're building it through drift or pulling off the different ramp stunts. Yeah, it's been a while since I played one of the asphalt games and I forgot how much I love this series. Like as soon as I started playing and you have those not only with the nitro boost where you would normally just boost ahead and try and get ahead. This has another timing element to the boosts themselves where you start the boost and then if you hit it again in the red zone then you get another extra boost and you can do these long nitro boosts and it just there's so much strategy to the game and like you said with gear club it was like you we we mentioned where you got ahead and you never really had to worry this one it is constant you cannot slow down you have to stay on your game because if you make one wrong turn because in this game you can actually find shortcuts there's all different paths to victory you don't have to just follow the the path you can try to make your own way find little shortcuts jump off the ramp skip the ramp because maybe that'll slow you down and there's all kinds of strategy where you're gonna have to plan out your route or react really well when something new comes in your way 
so that you stay ahead because otherwise someone you you can't slow down because they will catch up they will go by you and then you have to lay on that boost again to try to catch up and get by them again exactly and that's kind of just what you want in a racing game and i always kind of find myself more inclined to play the arcade racing games where i can just jam on that gas and just not worry about it not breaking and caring about the realistic physics of my curves and all that i just want to plow forward and have all kinds of crazy action with my car flipping around and smashing into other cars and so that's (laughs) definitely nice to have and then this game has five different game modes to play as there's over 400 different career events and then there's a real-time online multiplayer with up to eight racers so it has that full deluxe feature set but the actual core racing game play is the highlight of the app Right. And plus with the the different car types that they have, some of them, like if you get one of the big monster trucks, you can now break through these sections that were not that were previously like blocked off to like the smaller doom buggy cars. They can't go through these certain areas where if you have the monster truck, now you can blaze your own path through all of these barriers and try and beat out the other cars just with brute force. And so there's a lot of different strategy with the different types of cars that you choose, which then, like, even if you're just playing through all of these various modes, you now have that extra level of to change things up by just trying a different vehicle and seeing how you can navigate the course with this new vehicle that you have. Yep. And that's pretty much Asphalt Extreme. If you've liked yeah, any it's of the a pre- must have. Yeah, if you've liked any of the previous asphalt games, you're probably going to download this one. And if you haven't, I mean, this is their best effort today, and the off-road nature of it just kind of fits with the theme with asphalt just being that adrenaline-packed arcade racing where you're going to be, you know, driving across deserts and dunes or ripping through canyons or blasting through jungles. It just fits with the whole idea of the series. The one thing to note is the game's free to play, and you need to change your oil after a certain number of races. So it's kind of like the gas tank limitation, but it's oil change. But it seemed like it didn't get in the way. Like And it was super cheap. Yeah, that's why it didn't it. get in the way. It wasn't a stumbling block, because you earn in-game credits relatively well. So it was something you had to do, but it wasn't like, now I can't play it all, I'm going to go play something else. Right, and at least all your vehicles run on their own oil tanks, too. So you can switch to a different vehicle. And you're going to have to, like any of these free-to-play games, to play certain courses, you're going to have to unlock another vehicle. So you have to earn some money to purchase a new vehicle. So you'll end up with a, a garage full of various vehicles of different types that you'll be able to go to should your one of your other vehicles run out of run out of oil the one thing i did notice it didn't look like it refilled the oil automatically like you had to pay to refill it i don't think it was like a time-based thing where it refilled it for you yeah i didn't notice either but like you said this is definitely a must-have if you just want to do any kind of racing on ios gameloft has now released a new version of their series to be kind of the go-to choice of any kind of fast-paced racing you want Yep. And so that's Asphalt Extreme. It's free. It's universal. Next up is Galaga Wars, which is based on the classic 80s arcade game, but kind of redone for modern kind of graphics as well as touch-based iOS devices. So you simply put your finger on your ship, and that allows you to move it around to fire upon those familiar enemies that kind of look like insects with the bees and the 
little uh, flies and stuff. And so you're going to blast all those away. But so there's that endless arcade high score challenge, but now they've set it up into different sectors. And so you're essentially going to unlock new starting off points for a higher difficulty to start from. And that higher difficulty also lends to kind of a starting high score or more potential points going. So if you played from Warp Sector 1 and went up and then you died and then started from Warp Sector 2, you can beat your score from Warp Sector 1 a lot quicker just because you're starting at 2 and you face tougher things. And then that classic idea of Galaga where you get to shoot down your own ship and then you have two ships and you're blasting away, that's included. It's not the same where the one ship comes and warps up your ship and then you have to shoot it down. Instead, it just comes kind of timed in and then you have to shoot it from there. But once you do get those two ships unlocked, it's tons of fun to blast away the classic Galaga enemies with the new touch-based format. Yeah, I mean, if the action, like, I've never... This seems like this is the most frenetic that Galaga's ever gotten for me, where you... You're constantly having bullets flying everywhere. When you get that second ship in and then you start trying to roam your finger around, basically weaving through the bullets and then grabbing another power-up, and it's a random power-up that you're grabbing. And all of a sudden, like, you might have bombs flying off or things exploding everywhere, and now you can't see necessarily see the bullets coming towards you because there's explosions all over the place. And it's just fast, frenetic arcade action that you're just weaving, dodging, doing whatever you can to blow up everything on the screen, but then also trying to keep an eye on enemy fire, that it's just fun and frenetic. And then instead of, like, the classic game was limited where you're moving back and forth on a straight line. Now you can move anywhere, kind of like a bullet hell shooter. So they've mixed in those elements. I mean, because there was Galaga, there was sequels, then there was Galaxian. So they've built various different versions, and yet this game still feels relatively fresh by giving you that familiar mechanic, amping up the action, and then giving you kind of those warp points. So they're checkpoints that you can unlock by using the in-game coins. So you can start at a higher difficulty and gives you incentive to want to unlock those new warp sectors as you go. Right. It feels like almost they decided to re redesign it for a modern audience and then also with a mobile sensibility in mind so that way you can pick up where you left off it's not like the coin op game where you're just trying to play start to finish last as long as you can people don't necessarily play that way anymore except if they want that old arcade style that'll but with a modern like millennial they don't have the attention span to start at the beginning. So people want to just jump in. They don't want to necessarily have to replay all of this all over again. And I think it was a smart decision offering. It is a choice if you want to do that style or if you want to just jump ahead. And, and it just fits so perfectly with the mobile because you are dragging your finger around and it feels like you're one with that ship and trying to avoid everything. And it's just a perfect control system for this style of game on a mobile device. Yeah, Galag is my favorite old school shooter. To, to have it come, you know, with the familiar soundtrack and the ship design and just feel fresh on iOS, it's just a great kind of addition to your iOS device if you've ever played the old Galaga. And even if you're just a fan of kind of arcade space shooters, this one does a great job for iOS. Yeah, and if you love shoot-em-ups, you're like, you're, this is, especially because of the changes they made, it just feels like a 
perfect mobile shoot 'em up. And so, also, I know you call it Galaga, and I call it Galaga. I, I don't really <laughs> care. It's just kind of I grew up on calling it uh, Galaga, but I guess it turns out you can do it both ways. Yeah, it sounds like it's a 50-50 split of people, how they want to say it. So I've always said Galaga, and that's how I'll continue saying it. But whatever you call it, yeah, I think fun. you'll enjoy this freebie. Yep. Again, that's Galaga Wars. It's free. It's universal. And then there's The Trail. This game comes from Peter Molyneux, who made, for iOS, he's made um, that 22... God, well, 22 Kansas is company. It's yeah, the, like God something or other. Goddess or, was that one. Goddess, yeah. yeah those, it, you yeah. made those layers to build your... kind. It was like a city-building game, but it was all this weird kind of 3D layering system. Yeah. And then he made that game where you tapped into the cube... Like everyone was working oh, yes. together. Yeah, oh, whatever yeah, that yeah. game was called. That was horrible, yes. And so now there's the trail. And the idea is that essentially you're hiking on this trail. You need to collect things on the path. And you're just going to keep going, keep going, trying to survive. Step by step, needing to collect certain things so you can craft axes or slingshots to help you chop down wood or hunt rabbits. And then you just need to keep collecting items. You're going to have these campsites to stop at. And that opens up this whole trading system where you might get pieces for crafting that you couldn't find when you're walking along the path. And as you're playing this game, it kind of, I mean, the idea is that it's kind of that survival style game. But for me, it, it turned into like, it didn't feel like a game at any point. There was nothing where I was completely playing or completely challenged. You're kind of just going through the motions of doing it. I don't know if you felt the same. No, yeah, it felt more like an activity than than a real game. But at the same point, it almost felt like one of the better things that Congregate has put out. Like, it felt more compelling than half the stuff that, that they they released. So I was kind of surprised it was Congregate at first that published it. And then, then I realized that it was Peter Molyneux that had done the whole uh, development on the game. But I don't know. I found it strangely compelling, even though... It is repetitive. It, I just, I don't know, maybe it's the art style that I really liked. And it just felt so different than than anything else. But I can definitely see what you mean, where it, at times it doesn't really feel like a game. It feels like you're kind of just going out and doing research, trying to find the stuff out on the, on the, along the trail. If you don't, then you got to play this whole sort of crafting, trading, selling game to try to hopefully get what you need to then progress further i i don't know i it was different and for i think that's the reason i kind of enjoyed it just because it was unlike other things but i don't know i it definitely one that i'm not sure how long i'll play it but i don't know i i, I kind of enjoyed it yeah the game looks great there's beautiful vistas they've created whether you're in the forest or you transition over to the canyon or you now have to deal with changing weather circumstances but I didn't feel just compelled to keep going. Like, you're intrigued. Okay, this is different. But long term, would I rather play Asphalt Extreme or Galaga Wars? Probably. Oh, oh I can tell you <laughs> hands down, I played more of those than, than I did I, I'm this. even thinking like a couple weeks, a month down the road, what game's going to be on my device. I don't see much incentive to come back to the trail just because it seems like you're going to... There's no rising complexities. Like, I understand you're going to no, yeah, yeah. get access more 
items to craft as well as more things to pick up along the trail, but you're still in this cyclic system, it doesn't even feel as compelling as like a traditional city building simulation game, even though you're in that same kind of cycle. You do this, you unlock this, and then that helps you get more stuff. It just seemed even less compelling than those. Yeah, well, I don't even care for city building games. Like, I, I don't play those. And so I think maybe because this, this is a similar style, but it's not not a, a city building game. So I could kind of push it off into a different box and say, oh, I can enjoy this. But I definitely can tell you right now that this is probably I'm not probably not going to come back to it after this week. I just for this week, it was one of the more interesting titles that was released. Yeah, I, I kept. I kept waiting for something else to happen. You know, I get to this new campsite. I get past the river. You see the mountain is 13.5 kilometers. It's down to 6.1 kilometers. Okay, I'm getting there. But then what? It didn't seem to, like, give me anything <laughs> else. I wanted just one other kind of activity mechanic to yeah, deal like, with. Yeah, like maybe you get in a brawl with someone because they try to steal your stuff or, or something to, like, make it more game-like or have some other activity to do. Even, like, come to a fork in the road where if I choose this one path, it's easier, but there's going to be less stuff. And then this other path is harder, but there's more stuff. Yeah, Anything yeah. to give me something to think about to do rather than just watching my guy walk forward and then drag stuff onto his pack. See, to me, this is like a step above, like, a clicker. Yeah, it's like I agree it has, with that. Like, it's something to do kind of mindlessly, but there's a little more thought involved in this because you have to think about what you're going to craft, what you're going to buy and sell. But if, there's not a lot to think about. It's more of like a, a check-in, a little bit, time waster, and then check out. If you like that style of game, I think you're going to probably like this. But if you just don't play that type of game, which I don't tend to play that type of game, I'm not going to play much of this. Yeah, the only clickers that I've enjoyed include some game mechanics, like the tap defense, that tower defense one, or castle defense okay. one. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. which one you're about, yeah. And then I know we both played Bitcoin Billionaire, because it still kind of felt, I mean, it's mindless, but it felt like you were getting somewhere. <laughs> this game, it never feels like I'm getting anywhere. Yeah. Although, like, there's no although, payoff. Ironically, you actually have that countdown to tell you you are getting somewhere. It's yeah. Just... <laughs> but once you get there, there's no, like... Here's this awesome thing because you made it this far. Yeah, yeah. So that's the trail. It's definitely a different approach, but it's like other Peter Molyneux games where it feels like more of an ex experimentation of gaming than it is like something fully fleshed out as a game. Yes, I, I definitely agree with you. And so finally, one last thing. I, I mean, we couldn't go the week without mentioning a digital board game because <laughs> there was another one released. So I have to mention this is another one I got to see at PAX East. So uh, Lanterns, the Harvest Festival. I own this board game. They've now Direwolf Digital has taken and transformed this award winning tile laying board game into a beautiful digital format. So uh, basically the premise of this game is uh, it's the Harvest Festival, and it takes place in Imperial China, and you are basically an artisan, and you're putting out these lanterns into the water to kind of highlight the lake with these beautiful colored lanterns. And basically on each tile, you start out with three tiles, and on each tile there are different colored lanterns, one in each side of the tile. So 
it, it could be the same color on certain sides of the tile or every t- side could have different colors and there's four players. So you take turns placing a tile onto the board and whatever color is facing you. So it, one side will face each of the players in the game and whatever side is facing you, you take a lantern card of that color. And the goal is to basically form sets of either one of each color of lantern, a set of four of the same color lantern, or a set of three pairs of different colored lanterns. And then you would trade those in for points. And as you, depending on when you trade them in, they'll be worth less, more or less points. So it starts out all of those different types of sets are worth eight, eight, and 10 points. So then when someone purchases one of those, now it goes down by one point. So then the next person to, what they call it, make a dedication, would get less points for their dedication than the previous person did. And you basically go through seven rounds, and then once everyone's used up all of their lantern tiles, you add up all the points, and then the winner is the person with the most points. There's a couple of other rules in there where there's like special tiles that have these platforms on it, and when you play a tile against one of those, you get these other things called favor tokens. And if you have two favor tokens, you can exchange any one of your lanterns for another colored lantern as long as there's one available. Or then there's a, if you match up uh, a color. So say you're placing your tile and you match a color to the tile that's right next to it. And so the two lanterns match in color that are touching. Then you also get a lantern of that color, whether or not it's facing you. So there's ways to get multiple uh, lanterns on your turn coming into you so that you can build up those sets faster and faster and hopefully beat your opponents. And like all the games, the scoring is really close to one another. They, They did a really tight game where it, it, lines up so that you really have to plan out your moves so that you're maximizing every one of your moves so you're not uh, losing out. And you have to worry about, am I giving someone else a card, a lantern that's going to help them make a set, but I need this color, so I have to face my tile this way. So there's a lot of strategy there where you're trying to minimize how much you're helping your other players, and they're always gaining stuff every turn, and then at the same time helping yourself. So this game definitely looks intriguing. And the idea, the mechanics, it seems relatively familiar in my head as you're dragging the tiles onto the board and then you're matching certain sides of the board. You know, it's kind of like Cyril, you're doing that. And then just the classic idea of dominoes, you know, it's just built on fleshed out. Also kind of like Blockus where that game's more blocking other people, but you're still matching kind of the sides based on the coloring scheme. Right. And this one, you don't necessarily have to match the sides by matching the sides. You're helping yourself because that gets you extra lanterns. You could just play something on and it doesn't have to match the other tile that's out there. Uh, it's only when it matches that you earn that favor token or you earn the extra lantern lanterns in otherwise you don't have to match anything you can just place your tile out there but that's where the real strategy comes in to find spots where maybe you can match one or even two sides and then get those extra lanterns coming in on your turn and well the really nice thing about this game is there's never a downturn because 
no matter what, you're always engaged because you're always going to get something on everyone else's turn, no matter what. So unless they happen to play a color that's, that there's none of them in stock right now because a limited number of these lanterns. And then once they're in people's hands, you have to wait until they get traded back in as part of a dedication for them to become available again. So one strategy you can use is to aim a certain color towards your opponents that is out of stock. So that way they get nothing and on their, on that turn and you get something and they don't. So there's all kinds of, I mean, it's a super simple game to learn and play. My, I played with my daughter before the physical board game. We haven't played the, this digital format yet, but, uh, it's super easy to learn. Like she learned when she was eight and played it just fine. So anyone can kind of pick this up and dive right in, whether or not you have a lot of experience with board games. And that's what I think is so appealing for this and why it's been doing so well in the, the physical form. And I think it's going to do really well in this digital form because of how easy it is to learn. And they just have beautiful, they've done a great job with like the animations and making it really a beautiful looking game as well as functionally, everything's laid out so easy intuitively and is there a difference in the colors of the lanterns like if you get a blue lantern or a red lantern no it's the only color the only difference they do is if you are trying to collect a certain color like say you already have uh three blues then you kind of want another blue if you're going to go for that four of a kind or to avoid giving another player something that'll help them finish out one of the set types that's the only that's the only time the colors really come into play they're not there's no more powerful like not like red seven where we talked about it i talked about that a couple weeks ago where uh there was a hierarchy based on color there's all the colors are are equal it's just they may be more appealing to certain players depending on what sets they're trying to build okay that makes sense and so that's Lanterns. It's four ninety nine, and is it universal? It's universal. Yep. Okay, and I think that's everything for episode two hundred eight. Yep, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.